like I Hold your head up high Till you find the bluebird of happiness You will find greater peace of mind Knowing there's a bluebird of happiness And when he sings to you Welcome to the Philip K. Dick Book Club. In each episode of this podcast, I look at one of the works of Philip K. Dick. And currently, we are reading through The Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, published by Philip K. Dick in 1965 in the, in the U.S. The, the copyright page is 64, but maybe it was published in, in England or something in 64. Because it's uh, it says here originally published by Doubleday and Company in 1965. So yeah, it really came in print in 65, but Dick applied for the copyright a year earlier than that. So anyways, uh, we are looking at the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. It's a really wonderful novel. It's a novel that a lot of people are drawn to early on because of uh, the drug thing. It's got a lot of religious themes. It's something that if you're interested in the later Philip K. Dick works like the Valis trilogy, you can find a lot of yummy stuff in here but it's still very strong if you're like me and you you like to read the more political and social critiques and thoughts that dick had they're here as well the novel comes off as in many ways a criticism of the of the drug culture of the 60s especially in the in the later half of the novel and we'll, we'll get to that in in future chapters in this episode we'll be looking at chapters four five and six of the three stigmata of palmer eldridge in the first three chapters, we met our main character, especially Barney Mayerson and his employer, Leo Bulero. We learn how they work for a company called PP Layouts, which sells uh, ceramics and other layouts that people use on the colonies in Mars and the other frontier planets when they chew a drug called candy, which allows them to project themselves into a place and a time that they're more comfortable with. Because of, This is because of the poor conditions on the on the planet. We also learned that an industrialist who left many years before for Proxima uh, is coming back and he crash lands in Pluto and now the mystery is why has this industrialist Palmer Eldridge come back? What is his intentions and is this going to be a threat to PP layouts and their firm? So the novel begins really as a case of kind of corporate intrigue and competition and the concern about a new product coming into the market. It's almost like if the Coke industrialists were worried about Pepsi coming in uh, to and what that would do for their business. That's how the novel is set up. Okay, so we jump ahead in chapter four. In chapter four, Leo Bulero has gone to investigate what has what is uh, Palmer Eldridge thinking about. So he goes off to Ganymede to find Palmer, who is staying there in the hospital in Ganymede after this crash on Pluto, uh, under the name Trent. And he found this out from his precog uh, employees that, that Palmer stained under the name of Trent. Unfortunately, Palmer Eldridge is guarded, and there's UN officials there, and especially UN anti-narcotics officials. And Leo Bolero has a very uh, uh, kind of lukewarm relationship with these narcotics agents because candy while basically illegal it's overlooked when it's used in the frontier colonies because the people need it just to basically survive but they don't want it entering the earth market so there's some tension there and sometimes shipments will be taken in order to push leo to do things for for the un 
Leo certainly wants to meet Eldridge, but is unable to. And he thinks maybe he can use his, his enforcer, Felix Blau, in order to achieve that meeting. So frustrated, Leo Bolero does just that. He goes to talk to Felix Blau. Blau tells him a lot of what we already know, uh, or what we suspect, that Palmer Eldridge has returned. And he's returned with a new product, which he hopes to bring into the market, which will compete with, with candy. And this thing is known by the brand name of Choosy. And like both candy and Choosy are, are drugs that are chewed, ingested basically as a type of gum. But there's apparently other ways that Choosy can be consumed as, as well. They also learn that instead of using the Perky Pat dolls, which the PP layouts markets, the Choosy will be using a Connie and Companion doll. But this also seems to be a front because as we learn later on, Choosy does not require layouts for any use. It's just uh, kind of a market device to, to imagine this other type of doll. Eldris has brought in a lichen from Proxima is the thought, and he's established a new company on Earth. And he also learns that Richard Hanat, who is a man that PP Layouts has just rejected for a job, possibly for personal reasons that Barney Mayerson does not like, that Richard Hanat has, has basically married, has married his ex-wife, and he still loves his ex-wife and is jealous about that. So he rejected Richard Hanat's basically employment at PP Layouts. So driving him to go work for, for Palmer Eldridge. Blue Blau buys a weapon that he thinks could be used to kill Palmer Eldridge. So Leo Bolero basically gets into his mind at this point that, that his best solution to solving the Palmer Eldridge problem is to kill Palmer Eldridge. News starts to come in as well that colonists are beginning to buy Choosy. That's beginning to be marketed directly to, to colonists. So Leo Bolero uh, decides to help his employee, Barney Mayerson, by helping him get away from the draft. Now, as we learned in the earlier part of the novel, Barney has gotten his draft notice, which means he's going to have to be forced to go to the frontiers unless a psychiatrist can prove that he's not able to handle the stress of living in the frontier. That's probably not likely. So he's basically doomed to go to the frontier. Leo Bolero, a rich industrialist, decides to use his clout and his power to save Barney and in order to shore up his alliances prior to his upcoming confrontation with Palmer Eldridge. So the next scene leads right into this as Leo uh, is a, approaches Barney and dumps all this on him and basically says, I need your help. You're a precog. You can see the future for this. So help me. How can I defeat Palmer Eldridge? So Barney then does his job. He does try to look into the future and see what he can. One way these precogs kind of look into the future is by just looking at newspaper headlines, which will kind of let them know what's, what's going on. So he tries to see what he can. Barney tells him, uh, how to access Eldridge. And the plan he comes up with is to sneak onto Luna, which is Palmer Eldridge's domain. He like basically owns Luna as his own private uh, empire. And that's where he'll be stationed probably after he comes back from Ganymede. Then the hope is you can smuggle yourself in as a reporter and then get access to him. And then from that point on, Leo could maybe try to confront him or question him or straight up try to assassinate him. And as we've seen, Leo already has the equipment set up in order to do that. We get a nice little discussion here um, where Barney begins to threaten Leo and says, like, if you don't appreciate me, if you don't give me, you know, a higher status in this company or whatever, maybe move me to New York so I can be in the main office. 
I may just go over to Eldridge. If Eldridge setting up a new company, he's going to need prefab consultants like, like him. They also discuss Ronnie and the future, and we learn a little bit more about precognition and the way it works in this, this novel. He later goes and talks to Ronnie Fugati directly about the issues with, with Leo and the future and whether they have a better chance as prefab consultants to go with the competition. There's really a, it's like the, do you stay with what has worked and was established, but it might be risky because the competition might be better, or do you go and jump on board the competition? That's the discussion he has with Ronnie Fugati, his current lover. And then they even talk about maybe forming a union of prefab consultants in order to get a better deal from both uh, Palmer Eltridge and, and, uh, and Leo Bolero. So that's what happens in chapter four. Mostly it's about Leo trying to find out how he can get access to Palmer Eltridge and then Barney basically telling him, giving him a plan to, to, to sneak on as a reporter. And then we also learn that Barney has a lot of doubts about his future with the company PP layouts. Okay, in chapter five, we, we catch up with Richard Hanad, who is now flush with money thanks to his new job working for the Choosy Corporation and Palmer Eltridge. And as we learned in a previous chapter, the first thing he did when he learned he got this job, he went to his wife, Emily, Barney Mayerson's ex-wife, and says, we're gonna go off to Europe, we're gonna get some e-therapy. E-therapy is a process by which people undergo treatments and various medical procedures in order to accelerate their evolution. Now this is referred to colloquially as bubbleheads. Now Leo Bolero is one of these bubbleheads and there's a little bit of tension apparently between the true natural precogs and the people who get these abilities through the manipulation of their genetic material. Right, so if you're interested in the issue of transhumanism and how class shapes that, this is the novel you could go to for maybe some ideas and inspiration, right? Because the, there is the natural evolution, but the people want to speed it up. It's, it's available to the super rich, right? Even the not maybe super, super rich, like people like Richard Hanat have access to it, but the poor wouldn't. So this, you can imagine, is going to create a very bifurcated society. And later on, it's highly suggested that society is going to become increasingly bifurcated between classes and evolution is going to accelerate, perhaps in part due to the prominence of, of e-therapy. Although that's a little fuzzy because a lot of our images of the future in this world are set really when people are on drugs and they're kind of getting a window into it. Dick certainly has this idea in a lot of his novels of drugs being a way of communicating with other, other times. Now, there's an idea about evolution suggested in this part of the novel where we start to get the explanation about what's actually going on with this e-therapy. And that is an a concept which I don't think has any scientific foundation at all, although maybe some people on the fringes may hold to it. And that would be a kind of teleological evolution. The idea that our future evolutionary development is in our genes and so the e-therapy just unlocks those genes and wakens them up so they've always been there which doesn't make much sense in how i understand evolution or darwinian natural selection the idea that you know as environments change people you know species will slowly over many thousands of years millions of years uh, adapt to those those changes of course sometimes it's, it's more rapid as in the case of those those moths in England who had turned black in just a couple of generations because of the, the suit from industrialization. But for mammals, it's just a much slower process, of course. Like that's why they use fruit flies in studies of, of evolution because they, they breed so quickly. 
But this idea of teleological evolution is something Dick has played with before in other works, but it, of course, is of dubious scientific value. Um, here's what he writes about this. Quote, your glands, this is the doctor talking, your glands will be stimulated by this, especially Krenzi's gland, which controls rate of evolution. Nick Ver, yes, you know that. Every school child knows that. It's taught to us now what we've discovered here. Today you'll notice it is no growth of chitinous shell or brain shell or a loss of fingernails or toenails. You didn't know that, I bet, but only a slight but very, very important change in the frontal lobe. It'll be small. It's a pun, you know. It's smart, and you'll become smart. I'm sorry, um, it said, it will smart. This is a pun, you know, it smarts and you'll become smart. So it's kind of a bad joke by a, a doctor that doesn't have the best bedside manner. But the main point is that he's going to become smarter through this e-therapy. So that's what he's going to focus on. But apparently there's other genes that can be unlocked to give people shells and give people um, other capacities. Now, this we can sort of call like uh, post-humanism of sorts. There's going to also be a theme of transhumanism as we are introduced to Palmer Eldridge later in the novel. So this is also a good novel to see a contrast between kind of themes of post-humanism that Dick liked and themes of transhumanism, which was something he was interested in as well. So Richard Hanat goes into this and he starts to have new experiences and thoughts almost immediately during the therapy session. And he starts to think about the future of Choosy and of Candy and whether he made the right career choices. And it does seem that in the aftermath of his e-therapy session, that he has gotten smarter thanks to, thanks to this um, process. And it, it seems to work. And we've seen that Leo Bolero has also undergone this process himself. Now, we don't really see much more of Richard Hanat in the rest of the novel. He kind of falls into the backdrop. He kind of shows up in various drug hallucinations later on, but he's really not a character anymore. His story is more or less over. But Dick includes him here really to give us a window into this, into this e-therapy issue, so I, I don't think we should ignore it. Like in a lot of Dick novels, these side quests and side themes are sometimes not relevant to the plot necessarily, but they, they do provide interesting things to, to talk about and think about. So Leo Bolero goes to the domain of Palmer Eltridge on the moon. He's got his plan to sneak in as a, as a journalist. So everything is going all well, but he immediately meets Palmer Eltridge who basically kind of kidnaps him. He injects him intravenously with Choosy, this other drug, almost immediately. And he enters into Palmer Eltridge's world. Palmer Eltridge talks to him through this electronic contraption, so we don't get a really good look at him. I'll have a description of him in the next episode, and it's really kind of cool. And, and it, it's really a, one of Dick's best images of, of kind of a transhumanist monstrosity, of kind of a borgified uh, human being. But what's really happening here is Palmer Eltridge is giving Leo Bolero Choosy to experience it for himself and to then control a dialogue with them. And that, that's going to be the big question that runs throughout the rest of the novel about the experience of taking Choosy. We understand candy. We saw it in chapter three. When you take candy, you project yourself onto the layout. So the user has control of what they see. It's temporary, so they can control the time that they're in decision based on how much of the drug they take and it's a collective experience so there's other people there that to experience it with them so it is a it's more of a communal uh, experience this is a very solipsistic experience in contrast and it's not clear who's in control from time to time uh, sometimes leo bolero is able to do things create things out of thin air other times it seems palmer eldridge is in control of what he sees and what he does 
So it's all very bizarre, and it's a little bit hard to describe here. But Leo Bolero in chapter 5 and continuing on into chapter 6 starts to have a whole bunch of, of visions and conversations with various people, all of which are basically products of Palmer Eldridge's uh, control of this world. So first, Palmer Eldridge appears to him as a little girl named Monica. Uh, he, Leo, for a time, thinks that maybe this, this girl is actually Zoe Eldridge, who is... Palmer Eldridge's daughter. It also seems that at times they're able to connect with reality while under the influence of, of Choosy. So he meets this little girl, Monica, who's playing with a yo-yo. He talks with her a while. She has a doctor smile. This is like the portable electronic computer psychiatrist that Barney Mayerson had earlier in the novel. He uses it to try to contact Mayerson. And apparently this is the same doctor smile that Mayerson had, or at least a, a reconstruction of one by Palmer Eldridge himself. Now Monica, the child, tells Leo Bolero that Palmer Eldridge actually is being controlled by the Proxima, with the aliens from Proxima, and that they're forcing him to bring Choosy to Earth as part of their basically invasion plan, their plans to control Earth. So that's one theory that gets proffered at this time about what Palmer Eldridge's motives are. And that's never even clearly resolved quite what his motives are. Is he working for the Prox? Is he doing his own thing? Is he a malevolent force? Is he a god? Has he become a god while he was in Proxima? And, this, you know, Dick doesn't fully answer these questions and is really open to a lot of interpretation. And, and that's one of the things I think makes this novel rather fun. In addition to all the really profound social political conversations about corporate power, about drug use, about the drug culture, about the frontier, all, all these conversations that Dick's having in this novel, he puts into it this really cool speculative theology. Um, and I think, that, again, that's a reason a lot of people like this, like this novel. So uh, we jump quickly to a scene with Mayerson and, and Felix Blau discussing Leo Bolero and where he is. They're discussing it with uh, Ronnie Fugati. And they eventually call Zoe Eldridge to find try to track down where Leo Bolero is. And at that point, Barney Mayerson simply assumes that Leo Bolero is lost to Palmer Eldridge and that they're going to have to go on without him. This is going to be an important plot point in a later chapter when Leo resents the fact that Barney did not do more to help and, and for that reason fires him, which pushes Barney into a dramatic change of, of, of life, a, a major change in his life. So that's chapter five. And then chapter six is focused on Leo's choosy experiences. He goes deeper and deeper into the experience of, of chewing. And we learn a lot more in the same way that in chapter three, we learned what the candy experience is like. It's in chapter six that we learn about the choosy experience, which is a lot weirder and, and, and a little bit more ambiguous. For instance, one thing is that there's these strange invented creatures in this world that Leo Bolero is in. They're called glucks. They're really horrific, violent, vicious monsters. And they're around him. And he starts to talk with Eldridge about, about Choosy, about their conflict, about which product is better and, and business and things like that. And he starts to explain to, to Leo what he sees, or what he's found in Proxima. He says, you were wrong. I did not find God in the Prox system, but I found something better. God promises eternal life. I can do better. I can deliver it. Through the Lycan, which we're marketing under the name Choosy, 
It bears very little resemblance to your own product allele. Candied is obsolete because what does it do? Provide a few moments of escape, nothing but fantasy. Who wants that? Who needs that when they can get the genuine thing from me? We're there now. It's a special situation. This is still Palmer Eldridge. It's a special situation to prove that this is authentic. Nothing excels physical pain and terror in their respects. The Gluck showed you with absolute clarity that this is not a fantasy. They could have actually have killed you. And if you died here, that would be it. Not like candy, is it? When I discovered the lichen in the prox system, I couldn't believe it. I've lived 100 years, Leo, already, using it in the prox system under the direction of their medical people. I've taken it orally, intravenously, in suppository form. I've burned it, oral, uh, I've burned it and inhaled the fumes, made it into a water-soluble solution and boiled it, sniffed the vapors. I experienced it in every way possible, and it doesn't hurt me. The effects on proxers is minor, nothing like what it does to us. To them, it's less of a stimulant than their very best grade tobacco. So that's a little bit. Now, certainly Palmer Eldridge is not a trustworthy uh, reporter of these facts, but it seems what we have is that you enter into a world which you can dwell in for as long as you want. And this is why you can get eternal life through choosing. You never have to leave it. Candy, when it runs out, you, you, you go back to reality, right? And we saw in chapter three how it's like one of the worst hangover experiences. Everyone's drooling and depressed and, and, and they want to go back into the bliss of, of, of the drug-fueled fueled reality that they experience because the, the world they live in is so horrific and, and just, you know, miserable. So anyways, we get this description of choosy. We also learn, though, that not only a single person can control this world. It's, it's in this sense, very solipsistic. It's not as much a shared reality. Every, a lot of people have their own kind of control over what they see, and they can impose it at times on others. So the question is, is this just Eldridge's domain that he then, people who take Choosy are kind of slaves in? Well, that doesn't seem to be the full case because Leo at one point, because he hates the Gluck so much, creates a Gluck trap. And Palmer Eldridge is actually kind of impressed that, that he did it. He promotes, he says to Palmer Eldridge that, that your product stinks, Choosy candy is better than Choosy, and we should just have a free market competition. At this point, Palmer reforms himself as Monica, the young girl, and we get an honest conversation between Leo Bolero and now Palmer, Monica, about Choosy. And what he says about Choosy is basically it's, it's an inferior product. The child claims, and this is, of course, Palmer, claims that Choosy allows the users to basically create their own reality. So it creates total solve, a, a potential for total solipsism. Leo asks, suppose I want to construct my own universe. Maybe there's something evil in me too, some aspect of my personality I don't even know about that would cause me to produce a thing even more ugly than what you brought me into being. And the child says, whatever it could be could be abolished if you found you didn't like it. And if you did like it, keep it then, why not? Who's hurt? You're alone in your... Alone, Leo said. You mean each person goes into a different subjective world? It's not like the layouts then, because everyone in the group who takes candy goes to the layout, the mental wall, the women in the perky path. But that means you're not here. Or he thought, I'm not here. But in that case... So he starts to think, maybe I didn't take Choosy. Maybe this is just like a snow job. Maybe he's just being put over on this, because he has a hard time believing that this is actually what the drug is capable of doing. And then Leo comes to his conclusion. Quote, I have now got the idea of what this new choosy substance is like. 
It's definitely inferior to candy. I have no qualms in saying that emphatically. You can tell without doubt that it's merely a hallucinogenic experience you're undergoing. Now let's get down to business. Altrits have sold Choosy to the UN by claiming that it induces genuine reincarnation, which ratifies the religious convictions of more than half the governing members of the General Assembly, plus that Indian skunk Hepburn Gilbert himself. It's a fraud because Choosy doesn't do that. But the worst aspect of Choosy is its solipsistic quality. With candy, you can undergo a valid interpersonal experience in that what others and with the others in your hovel. So this is very fascinating. It's like, which is a better experience? It's, is it that collected shared? It's a delusion, perhaps, it's a, it, but it's collectively shared. So there's something real in the interpersonal relationships between people, even if they're imagining something, right? It's almost like if, you know, when you, you kind of go to a movie theater, right? And, and you all see the same movie and you talk about it afterwards. That's, that's kind of a, a social experience. It's, a, it's a, some social bonding. But maybe if everyone you know, in the house just watches their Netflix channel and they all have their own Netflix queue and, and videos, TV series they're watching, they're all kind of in their own fantasy worlds and they don't really have any point to communicate and bond with each other. Right? That's kind of a banal example of it, but I can kind of see Leo Bolero's argument here that the total solipsistic false reality in which you're, you're essentially a god and you're immortal it might have its interest in, in its purpose, but what it's lacking is that that foundation in solidarity and that shared experience. And I, I sort of think Dick is on that side too. He he is kind of ranking these drugs and seeing candy as something that's a little bit more socially meaningful than. And I, I wonder if if Dick took a drug at one point that gave him what he thought was a very solipsistic, bizarre experience, and he he didn't like that experience compared to maybe just people smoking weed together and, and chilling together. You know, that creates a different type of experience. I wonder if that's a bit of what's going on. Now, certainly the candy scenes are not that pleasant either. I mean, there's a lot to dislike. And we'll get to that when we, when we return to Mars and talk about the, the, the experience of chewing candy and what conditions are on, uh, like on Mars. Now, during this experience, he drifts to the future. And I guess this is done with the permission and allowance of Palmer Eldridge because we're given evidence that he's basically in control of, of constructing this environment. Although there's competing messages here. Um, Leo seems to think, you know, that, or it's obvious that Palmer Eldridge can create things. He creates the Glucks, for instance. Um, but, you know, he, does, he, does he let Leo into the future? It's, it seems he does. And it's, it's surprising he does because what the future shows to, to Leo so he's in some future Earth, and he runs into these evolved creatures. And the date's not that clear, but it's not that far into the future. It's, it's not like millions of years into the future. It's not that far into the future, and there's these evolved humans. I guess e-therapy became popular enough that human evolution sped up in the years since uh, the, the events of the novel take place. Leo Bolero introduces himself by his name, and these Creatures, they, they see him as a ghost or some throwback, and, and they don't quite know what to make of him first. But when they hear his name, they realize that it's like a time-traveling Leo Bolero, who's famous now because he was the one who killed the great threat to humanity, Palmer Eldridge. In fact, there's even a memorial out there to Leo Bolero for his, you know, his murder, his killing of Palmer Eldridge, and in, in the process of killing him, saving the Earth. Here's what the memorial says. In memoriam... 2016 AD near the spot 
The enemy of the soul system, Palmer Eldritch, was slain in fair combat with the champion of our nine planets, Leo Bolero of, of Terra. So we're left with this question of who controls this, this alternate reality. So um, that's chapters four, five, six. So I'll stop at this point. Again, what this section of the novel is about is the choosy experience. In the sense, the first three novels are, are, tell us about the candy experience and the corporation that backs it up. These three chapters tell us about the competition in choosy. And it's a much more ambiguous drug. We're less clear of where we're at and what it's doing. But it certainly is an interesting uh, tension between the collective and the subjective drug. The drug that produces the collective experience or the one that produces the subjective experience, which is better and which is superior. And Leo Belair, of course, thinks his product's best as all industrialists do, but is, is it really? And we're going to see when we return to Mars in the next episode, we're going to return to Mars and we're going to see what the people on Mars think and how they experience these, these new drugs. Um, and it gets pretty wild before, before it ends. So uh, that's it for this part of, of my review and my thoughts on the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge. Please leave your own comments and thoughts about choosy and candy and the subjective or the objective uh, experiences below. You can send me an email at 100pagescast at gmail.com. I'll be back shortly with, my, with part three of my review of, Palmer, Palmer, of the Three Stigmata of Palmer Eldridge, which will cover chapters 7, 8, 9, and, and, and 10. So it'll get us right to the brink of the climax of, of the novel. So as always, thanks for listening. Thanks for enjoying, for, for uh, accompanying me on this quest through Philip K. Dick's works. Um, and I'll see you next time. You must you find And contentment forever If you